harmony and peace And the sun will once again rise up in the east Welcome to Ink Pulp Audio uh, Today we've got Ryan Stegman in the house um, Ryan is someone I've recent, uh, somewhat recently met And uh, we, we kind of met in the, the Marvel trenches uh, In the mid-zone, which we'll talk about in the podcast I'm here at uh, the Savannah College of Art and Design, the Atlanta campus. This weekend is our annual art forum where we bring in guests to uh, do workshops, portfolio reviews, and hip these students to some industry stuff and some craft stuff. It's exciting. Uh, Artists tend to love it. Students tend to love it. It's a good time. It's a lot of work. It usually wears me out by the end, but it's so worth it. It's a great event and a great thing that the students get to have. Um, so, uh, yeah, with Ryan here, I wanted to talk to him. I, I didn't know really what to talk about up until this point. I think all my podcasts have, have had a very clear focus from the beginning. I had picked people for reasons and, uh, went in with that in mind. And, and I realized I can't always do that. I've got to let uh, the, the goal was keeping this organic. So I've got to just go into a conversation with people. I can't always have an agenda. Uh, And um, I can't know everyone as well as I've known most of the previous people. And and Ryan's not a stranger. Uh, We're friendly, but I got to know him a lot better this weekend. So I I think this ended up being one of my favorite podcasts so far. It, it, It goes somewhere really interesting and really deep. It doesn't start off there. I hope the beginning is entertaining, worth listening to, but hang on, because it goes somewhere good. So let's get into this. back to Ink Pulp Audio. You probably hear me say that at the beginning of each segment of each episode because I, I record this in pieces and I really don't know which one's going to go first till Alan, who does my audio, and I kind of figure it out. So I figure it's better to just say welcome back to Ink Pulp Audio every time I sit in front of this microphone. So today's guest is Ryan Stegman. Uh, I've known Ryan for a little while now. I guess I'll talk about that in the intro. This is the story segment. Ryan shares with us something very personal that I I didn't know anything about uh, until he started talking about it in the interview. I had no idea he went through this, I guess you could call it tragic period in life. And uh, I had no idea it was going to come up. And you'll hear in the interview when he drops it, I pushed pause to make sure he's okay to talking about it. I, I know there's a lot of personal information and and personal feelings people are, have been revealing on the podcast, and I'm very thankful for that. But I always make sure that everyone who's on here is very comfortable releasing this information out into the world. 
I think it's helpful for everyone to hear these stories and feel like they're not alone and they can relate to some extent. But everyone, thank you. Everyone that's been on, that will be on, thank you for all you've given us. So I thought it appropriate to share a a health scare I, I went through. As long as I've been doing this podcast, I've been very focused on dealing with some of my anxieties and some of my issues that I've been been having. And, you know, I feel better. I think doing these has really been helpful. A lot's been going on in my life that's really helped me. And and I I just got to own some things in life. But this, I wasn't always like this, as I've said. And sort of the culmination of, of my anxiety happened before I was even working for Marvel. I, I was actually working for Oni Press at the time on a book that never got finished. Yay me. And um, I was teaching full-time. This was earlier in the in my school's program when we were very young and all of us were putting in incredible hours at school building this this campus up from nothing to the amazing success it is today and Pat Quinn and myself built the sequential art department in Atlanta from nothing and it's incredible to see where it's come. But at the time, it, it was a lot of work, but we were very personally invested in it. This was a project for for me, and, and I believe, Pat, we were creatively involved in shaping an entire program around the medium we loved. And we had gone to grad school together and seen all the the, the nicks and bumps and the flaws of the program, and we tried to get jobs teaching in Savannah at the time and nobody was having it and we always felt like we've worked in the business we are connected to the industry we can really help build a stronger program so when we got the opportunity to do that in Atlanta we didn't take it lightly we didn't take it for granted so we put in a lot of hours and a lot of energy and it, it was constant, but it was exciting. It, 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 you know, as many hours as we put in, I might have been tired, but I wasn't, wasn't terribly stressed. I don't think I was stressed. I was enjoying what we were doing. It was exciting. It, it was exciting. It was a great project. And uh, I guess maybe two, two years into it, uh, I was teaching in the summer, which is optional. Um, it's nice to not be able to teach in the summer now at the time financially, it wasn't an option. And, uh, so I was teaching full load year round. So in the, I started getting these headaches, these intense, intense headaches. It felt like someone was driving a nail into my eye socket in my right eye in the upper left corner, right where a sinus probably is. These headaches started coming on out of nowhere. No medication seemed to help. I mean, I started with Tylenol. I went, I thought it was migraines. 
Migraine medicine didn't help. Um, and they started coming more frequently. By the end of the summer, it, it was basically a consistent headache for about a month with break periods. But the pain was was awful and intense, and I'd never felt anything like it. At night before I go to bed, I'd never had them. But when I woke up, they would like just kick in like immediately. And I remember waking up one morning early, way early, and the headache kicked in. And I was just downstairs doing laps around my couch, crying in excruciating pain. And, um, you know, I had been to the doctor, I had been to the ENT to see if there was some allergy issue. I know I have allergies, but I didn't feel congested in any way because I'm on allergy medicine. And it was just unbearable. And when the quarter ended, that summer quarter, they stopped. They just went away. And it was like, what the fuck was that? Looking back on it and telling the story, I think you can see what the obvious reason is. So there's probably a good two-week, maybe a little more break before fall quarter starts. And as fall quarter approaches, uh, the headaches don't come back, but I feel dizzy. And I feel dizzy constantly like a slight sense of vertigo, not a dramatic dizziness. Like I wasn't nauseous. I just felt a, uh, the best way I could explain it was a dizzy and euphoria feeling. And that went on for two months without letting up. And I went back to the doctor and went back to the ENT, who then said she wanted an MRI. And she said she wanted to rule out a brain tumor. Well, I'm not good with hospitals. I'm not good with doctors. I mean, I don't mind going to get checked out if I have like a chest infection or something like that. But when it comes, I mean, my f- biggest fear in life is disease. And like horror movie to me, is like outbreak, like anything where where a disease wipes out people. Like I can't, I don't think I can watch Contagion. That's what really scares me. I, I can watch, I love good horror films. You know, they're, they're suspenseful, but I wouldn't say they scare me. And be, because I, I know they're not real and... That's the fun of it. My body can feel afraid, but my mind knows it's not... Well, my mind can feel afraid, but at the same time, no, it's not real. And that's what's thrilling about horror movies. It's that you you can still feel the sensation of something terrifying, knowing it's no threat at all. And I remember when 28 Days Later came out, that really combined shit that freaked me out. That was... A zombie apocalypse defined by a disease. And that, I I remember the trailer just kept me up thinking about it. I I have not seen the movie. I've seen now 
probably most of it just watching it as I'm when it's on TV as I'm folding laundry or helping the kids with homework or whatever. Not that they're watching it while they're doing homework. But that 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 was a uh, I remember thinking like wow someone knew exactly how to freak me out when they made this movie. And it was Danny Boyle so I knew it was an artful film it wasn't just junk. So disease is is what terrifies me. So she says brain tumor. I am freaked the fuck out. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is it." I at the time I was I don't know, probably 35 or 36. And I was like, I, I'm not going to get to see my, my kids grow up. I mean, it was emotional. That was hard. And so as she's telling me this, you know, keep in mind my fear of diseases and my biggest fear, um, needles in my vein. It's, and it has nothing to do with pain. It has to do completely... I think it's a defense mechanism. Anything that's going into my lifeline and pulling or putting stuff into it is threatening to me. And I have an extreme phobia of that. I've recently dealt with that phobia, but that's another story. So that's just a little back info. So as she's explaining this to me, she says she wants to do an MRI. So I'm like, all right, you know, MRI doesn't scare me. The, the brain tumor does, but MRI, you're just laying there. I, I'm a little claustrophobic, but I can deal with it. And then it then it kicks in like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. MRI, you're going to inject some radioactive shit into my veins. So I ask her, I was like, does this require putting something in my veins? And she says, yes. And that's, that's when it got really bad. You know, brain tumors should be the bigger scare. But for me, the more immediate scare was that. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but it was. It, I was, oh, man, I was terrified. And I was like, um, okay, is it radioactive? Because, you know, let's get back to my, my fears, uh, disease. Growing up in the 80s, they pumped you full of this nuclear apocalypse fear shit. Mutants. Shit's going to turn you into mutants. I mean, silly movies like the trauma films, Nukem High. Um, I, I enjoyed them. They were, they were comedic, but they still freaked me out because it, it was this idea of radiation getting into you and changing you. So... She calms me down. She says, it's a contrast. It's not, it's not a CAT scan. CAT scans where it's radioactive. This is just a contrast. I think it's a, like a sodium chloride solution. So it's a, it's a fairly benign and harmless solution. And okay, so I'm, I'm really freaked out. I know she can see it on me. And, and I'm asking so many questions and so nervous. I'm like, okay, well... Is this something that's really necessary? I want to make sure this isn't just a doctor casually ordering around an MRI so they can get their kickback. Because that happens. That's real. And and she cops an attitude with me. I, I still, to this day, am not happy with that ENT. 
she's like, well, it's your choice. You know, I just think we should rule it out. Make sure it's not a big problem. And I was like, all right, okay, you tell me we need to do it. I understand. I've got a wife. I've got kids. They need me around. I'll, I'll, I can I can do this. Um, so I reluctantly am like, okay, okay, uh, we can do it. I'm just really freaked out by the by the the injection. And with a deeper attitude, she says to me, well, if you need it, I can prescribe you a Valium if, to help. Like, what the fuck? I'm suffering. I'm sitting here suffering. I, am, I had a headache for two months. I've been dizzy for two months. You can see I am freaked out by the idea of a possible brain tumor and a contrast injection. And you're giving me an attitude about offering me a Valium? Like I'm a pill popper looking for some fucking free handout. So I, at that point I got a little mad and I sternly was like, yes, yes, that would be helpful. Can you do that? So she breaks out her little script pad and writes it off. One, I think five milligram Valium. Thank you for the help. Uh, you know, and since then I've seen my wife and my mom and people go through MRIs and they've gotten two of these these pills. One to take the morning of as you're heading there, the other one to take right before you go in. Just to put you on another planet to get you through an uncomfortable situation. So fuck you, ENT. So, okay, I I, I get my, my one pill... Uh, the morning comes. I don't sleep the night before. You know, God forbid she should have given me something to help me sleep the night before. And um, it was it was fall, so Zoe was in school. Zach was still a baby. My mom watches Zach. We go to the MRI place. They they do the job. You know, I take the Valium, and I remember on the ride over. My wife looked at me, are you doing okay? And I'm smiling. And I just remember, it's like, this Valium is pretty awesome stuff. It was like a happy drunk without the clumsiness of drunk. It felt good. I felt like I, I can get through this. I'm, I'm feeling loopy. So we go do it. Um, and the thing is, they have to... Do a scan of your body first, then inject the contrast, then do a second scan. So I'm a little worried the Valium is going to start to wear before I really need it. This is where, again, doctor, two pills could have been helpful. So I get in there and I just close my eyes and... um I hadn't been doing yoga regularly for a little while, but I did do it before. So I really got into my yoga breath and really got into a very meditative stance where I was just focused on breathing and relaxing and sure the Valium was helping me tremendously. And then they they wheel me out for the uh, injection. My wife grabs my hand. I, I crush her hand while I'm holding it. 
I, you know, I don't really feel it too much. It, again, it's not the pain. I know those needles they put in your veins are really, really precision-based needles that just gently pierce the flesh, and they're good. They're good. So again, it wasn't the pain. I was just like, all right, is that over? Is it like I just remember I kept asking, are they done? Are they done? And, um, you know, it's kind of like a, like a, a an IV they put in you a little bit. So just crushing her hand the whole time. Finally, they're done. They wheel me back in. They finish up. I get out. Um, and I just go home with the bandage over my, my vein and get in bed and just sleep it off. You know, every time I, I wake up, every time I look at the bandage, I just, I get a little lightheaded. I'm sorry. This is, this is real shit. This shit scares me. So, uh, and the other thing about MRI is they don't give you the results that day. They're just the scanners. That's their job is to scan. Then they got to send it to your doctor who has to read it and then relay the information to you. So I have an appointment, I, I think two days later with the ENT to go over the films. And so now that the scan is over, I can quickly and thoroughly focus on the fact that I'm dying right now. I have a brain tumor and that life is coming to an end as we know it. And, um, so that was my focus. (laughs) I'm not going to see my children grow up. I, I was playing that game. What won't I live through? Let's see how unhappy I can make myself by diving into these thoughts. What won't I live through? My daughter's wedding, graduation, And I start getting later into life career. Oh, no, grandkids. I'll never have grandchildren. So it's, I'm not, I'm not defending this. This is my sickness. All right. So fuck off. And uh, a few days go by of that. Actually, I think it was more than a few days. I think I was going to New York Comic Con. No, I went to New York Comic Con the weekend before I had the appointment. And um, I remember running into a a, a good friend, editor at Marvel, who was going through a similar type scare where they initially thought they had stomach cancer. Come to find out it was a certain type of stomach infection that you had to have strong antibiotics and only eat certain type of foods. And then uh, another good friend of mine has gone through something very similar recently. I'm telling you, you hit 30 and shit starts getting weird. What the fuck? So I get to share my scare with this person. Uh, I think this really bonds us and um, he ends up okay. I, I get home, I have the test done, like I said, and, and then I go into the ENT office. And they had also scheduled um, uh, an allergy test that day, to, just in case this was all allergy-related. They wanted to see what I was allergic to and address that. So I'm freaked the fuck out. I'm in the, the waiting room. Like, really? Like, I'm I'm in there for a good 20 minutes. Really? Really? Can you tell me if I'm going to die? I'm sitting here waiting. So they call me back. Well, the doctor's not ready, so let's get started with your allergy testing. Fine. They pull me to this back room, 
And this girl, the only way I can describe her is ghetto chic. She is dressed in, in, um, whatever they call that, the surgical outfits that doctors wear, scrubs. Dressed in scrubs, she's clean, but her nails are like an inch long at least. I mean, you're 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 in a doctor's office. That is, you need dexterity. That is some ghetto ass shit. So she starts, you know, talking to me about my allergies, and then she pulls out this brick with nineteen needles on it, and she starts applying a solution to each fucking one. And I'm looking at this thing in horror. I'm I'm not exaggerating. There was 19 needles on this thing. And she's like, well, what we do is we jam this in your arm. We wait a couple days. We see which reacts. You'll get a rash in the ones that react, a red bump. Then you go through another series of this and you keep going till they whittle down and pinpoint your allergy. Fuck this. I've had it. I'm fucking had it. No, no. You know what? I said to the to this this lab tech or nurse or whatever. Can you get the doctor? I want to know if I'm dying right now. I am not dealing with this at all. You are not injecting me with 19 different chemicals right now. When I'm wondering, do I have brain cancer? What sense? This is, this is what gets me about the world I live in. I have such problems with people not using logic. If I have brain cancer, who the fuck cares what I'm allergic to? What sense does that make? If you're going to tell me we need to rule out something big before we address the small, let's go do that. Because if I come back from that knowing I have brain cancer, guess what? I don't need an allergy test. I know what caused the goddamn problems. So, lesson learned here. You got to be assertive with these medical types. So I say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. You know, at this point, I don't, I don't fucking care if you've just wasted that brick of needles and you throw it away. I, I don't give a shit. I got to look out for myself. So can I please see the doctor? I want to know if I'm fucking dying. So like, okay, okay. And they take me into the doctor's room. And she comes in and sits down. She's like, well, the good news is your scans are clear. So I didn't have brain cancer. Huge relief. I'm like, you know what? If this is allergies, I'll fucking deal with it. Okay? Just, I'm not going through that test today. I can't. I've been through it. And something changed. When I took control, the dizziness, which had been getting worse and worse and worse as I'm going through all these tests, really went down and disappeared. And I also thought back to when I had the Valium, no dizziness. 
So now I do my research. Now I'm going to be my my own advocate. And I I come to I create the hypothesis based on some research and discussion that this which I've never felt before is not dizziness. This is anxiety. And every time I got in front of the computer from that point on, on my laptop for school, and I had 50 emails coming at me, and I'm running the department, I have a bunch of students needing stuff, and a book needing to get done, and Zach's a little baby, he needs, need, everyone needs, everyone needs, and then there's not enough money, and it's just, when I'm in the computer and everything's coming at me, I feel dizzy. But when I'm not dealing with all those things at once, I don't feel it. So I, I, I had never felt this before. I guess I had been anxious before, but I'd never had anxiety. And that's when this all started. And, adre- and, and knowing what it was allowed me to deal with it better. The headaches were stress and anxiety exploding like a nuclear weapon in my head. This is my body telling me, you have too much shit going on. You can't keep up like this. So I started working for Marvel and made it all worse. And that's where I am today. Um, It's not worse. I do have medication to help. And I'm learning to cope and deal with this better. I just was a naive child who didn't know the pressures of life, the reality of parenthood, what the job was like. I felt very naive, very sheltered. And in the information age, this digital age where everything's coming at you at all times, it's, it was just too much. So in the end, I wasn't dying. I was just fucked up. So that's my story. And let's, uh, let's listen to Ryan's, either after my little intro for him or if this is before it. We'll see. Again, guys, I'm keeping this thing organic. Just go with the flow. So uh, here we are. I'm here with Ryan Stegman, and we're going to do a little ink pulp audio. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess the first thing I kind of want to ask you, Ryan, um, I, I, I want to know like how life you had. You had you were married, mm-hmm. had a career in comics, recently had a child. Mm-hmm. Well, a year ago, or so yes, twenty months ago, year and a half. Okay. Um, and one of the things I try to talk about in the podcast is how unorthodox our lifestyle is. Mm-hmm. And um, how are you, what's your lifestyle like now that you have a 
kid in terms of work hours and and being a, an involved father and and maintaining a marriage and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I I'm it's a work in progress. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, I tr- what I try to do now is I get up with the baby in the morning. Uh, you know, get him ready for daycare. My wife takes him to daycare. I get to work. Uh, I'll just stop at four o'clock. So I'll get up at about seven, stop, uh, work from about eight to four. Uh, I'll stop working for two hours, hang out, eat dinner, and then I'll go back downstairs to work until from six to ten, nine or six to ten, and then uh, go back, be back in bed by 11. So, was before the baby, what was it? hard for your wife to adapt to like was it did it cause tension in the relationship the, I mean before the baby I'd imagine you were like everyone else just cranking mm-hmm. always working um, well, I've actually, I think I've gotten a little quicker now that I have a kid just because my schedule is so much more regimented Right. Um, before we had Oliver um, I we would my wife and I would just kind of spend a lot of time in the same like she would just hang out in my studio. Okay. Uh, the problem is now is that he can't be in the studio because right, he's won't get anything done. a disaster. Yeah, I mean, he, and he wants to pull everything off my desk. Right. And, uh, so that's been. I'm trying to figure out how to do uh, something where we can spend time together while I work, or figure out how to work faster. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, but. In terms of keeping your schedule, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I'll take five minute breaks all the time when I'm working and run upstairs and wrestle him around for a little bit while your wife's get him nice and hyper it? for my wife and then oh, leave. <laughs> right, of course, rile him up. Um, yeah, I just I find it it's hard to find a um, a woman that that will adapt to the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have kids, I think we tend to adapt to a more normal lifestyle. But we're not working Monday through Friday. We're, I mean, you're working six and a half days a week now. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, I take Saturdays off. I try to take Saturdays off. And I how mean, often for example, does that happen? Uh, as long as I don't go to a convention, I, I just say flat out, I can't. Like, even if I'm on deadline, I just won't work on Saturday. So even if you're on deadline, you just put that rule down. Yeah, because I have to. Otherwise. See, I don't have that, and I want it. Like I'm I've, in my head recently, I've been telling myself Sundays just take it off, right? Because my wife doesn't work Sunday. Right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta do. I had to do it because if I, if I say I'll take Saturdays off except when I have a deadline, well, then it doesn't work. Yeah, and so at some point you have to separate work and personal life and. Agreed. And okay. even if you're, you know, they're not going to get that mad at me if I'm a couple days late. Okay. Okay. You know? Okay. That's a healthy attitude. Uh, just real quick, let me sidestep. I, some people might be like, "Why the hell are they talking about <laughs> this? This is this is really difficult." Um, I think the the people listening to this who work in the entertainment industry and have children relate to this mm-hmm. but i think for those people that don't i think this, this is stuff you need to think about right this is a and, and i don't it's not just comics i think it's the entertainment industry right. um so let me back up here so when you're not even when you're on deadline you're saying saturdays are a no-go mm-hmm. and has that disrupted your schedule dramatically no because what i do in general is 
expand to whatever time I have anyway. So now that I know that Saturday is not an option, I tend to get things done. Like I'll, what I do is uh, on Friday nights, some of my friends that draw and I will stay up late on set on Friday nights together on Skype. Okay. And we, you know, that's nice. It's drink and draw or whatever, but you know, I don't, I can't drink that much and draw. So like, yeah. I'll just have a few beers and stay up till, rather than go, you know, stopping at nine. I'll I'll work until midnight. And then what and time then, will you get up? Sat- oh, Saturday's your off day. Yeah. So okay. then I get up, you know, eight a.m. on Saturday, feeling fine, and just have that. That's day. good. I think one of the issues I have with when I have to put in late nights on a Friday or Saturday is my studio's outside of the house. Mm-hmm. It's in a in a like a business park. Mm-hmm. It's like a zombie town. Like right. I just feel very isolated and very alone, and I just. I don't know the weight of that gets to me at times. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I talk to people all the time on Skype while I work. I can't. I can't be that isolated. I'm not. I'm not a. You know. I'm not. I don't like being isolated. I like being around people all the time. So I've kind of found other guys that are the same. That's good. And you know, we'll go through periods where we're on Skype and nobody's saying a word because we're all we've all got our heads down working but it's just you're just sharing the experience with with other people so that makes it a lot easier. It's like a virtual drink and draw. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I might look into that. Mm-hmm. Um do you feel like uh, w- one of the things I I I feel like a lot is I mean I I've, I've got two jobs but you're working a crazy Marvel schedule. Do you feel like you're not able to give everything in your life, everything you want to give it. Like you're giving eighty percent to the wife versus a hundred percent, and like ninety percent to Oliver versus hundred percent, and then your work, same thing. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I definitely. I'm. I'm trying to retool my schedule right now. Um, to figure out how to. Because the the whole. Starting work, stopping work, and then starting again. Yeah. The whole time in that two hours, my mind is still in work. Right. So I'm trying to figure out a way where I can finish work and then put it down. Yeah, and be done. And that's that's so far. This week was the first time I tried it. I was able to do it two two days. What did you change? Um, I got to work much earlier than I normally do, and I decided that. exercising because I always exercise in the middle of the day I decided I would do that after so you're not breaking it up yeah so you'd be sitting at dinner but your mind would be on that hand you just drew before dinner and how you need to fix it or whatever right and then I'd be watching the clock like oh god I gotta go back down there in 15 minutes and that causes stress yeah yeah that you know that's I can't tell you everyone how important it is to not race the clock Mm -hmm. and no matter how much I say that I do it Mm -hmm. I get in and I'm like okay I'll have this panel done by this time this panel Mm -hmm. done by that time and then when I'm not I'm just building pressure on myself Mm -hmm. for no reason yeah well what I try to do is I I use this uh, Pomodoro technique which is it sounds it's it's not that complicated like the tomato yeah (laughs) it's uh it's 30 minutes on, five minutes off. 30 minutes on, five minutes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that does is I have a program on my computer and I, you know, I'll click it. I, let, I, I work, head down, don't mess with anything else. Then I'll take the five minutes off and just, you know, sometimes I'll do little exercises in there. Anything I can do to, you know, you got to keep yourself fresh. But then what it does is it tells me, how many hours I've logged for the day. 
So when I hit eight hours, I almost always have the page done. I know that. Like if once I hit eight hours, for some reason, no matter how difficult the page was, it's usually done at that wow. point. Yeah. And so what I try to do is, is, is rather than, I don't try and fit anything to that time. I just know that if I do, if I put in the effort that way, then at that eight hour mark, I'm going to be done and it's going to be fine. And then if I don't finish in eight hours, I'll stop that for the day. That's, the, that's key. Mm-hmm. That, that's something that I'm just coming to. Like I, I wrote something, I wrote like a few things down in, in my Mac stickies. Mm-hmm. One thing says, all I can do in a day is all I can do mm-hmm. because I'll, I'll race the clock. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I'm not screwing off. I'm not wasting time. Mm-hmm. That page just took that long. Yeah. And those five minute breaks are, you know, that's when I can, I'm still working a lot of times. I'm doing emails and writing people back. But it's really strange. See, the thing that I felt, feel like maybe I would do before when I wasn't logging my time exactly, I wouldn't realize, I would think that I'd worked a really full day and then I would only have like been putting pencil to paper for four hours. Actually, the first time that I did this Pomodoro technique for an entire issue, I did the entire issue pencils only in 27 days. Pencils? Mm -hmm. Uh But I'd I'd never done an issue that fast before. How long would it take you before? Like five, six weeks. Okay. And this took me, uh, this one, I could have been a monthly So penciler. you accredit the technique to speeding you up? Mm-hmm. Because I, because I was absolutely making sure, I was always conscious of how much I, I, work I had done and not, not counting the, that time where I spend 30 minutes writing an email to somebody or replying to this thing or doing blog posts and all that stuff. I mean, that stuff's important. Yeah. But I don't count it. I count, I'm counting only pencil to paper head down time working okay that's all i want to log um, make sure that so that the other things don't intrude on that aspect so is this an app you yeah got? it's called vitamin r it's only on the mac is it is it like a, a desktop or just like an ipad thing no it's a desk if you go to the app store on your um you mac. can get apps for your desktop yeah the app store is right there Oh, I didn't know you can get apps for your desktop. All right, yeah. that's, that's we'll off track. We'll cut this out. No, I, I, well, I, I want this to be a raw conversation. Right. That's, that's kind of like the one thing I'm trying to do with this is keep it honest and just keep it raw. Right. I don't, I've got so much structure and organization in life, I need this to be different. Right. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so um, another thing I want to talk about with you is... I. You seem to be, in terms of the household and your responsibilities in the household, mm-hmm. um, your wife takes care of finances? Yeah. How about the cleaning responsibilities? Is that shared? It should be. Is it more you? <laughs> no. God, it's more no. her? Well, we, got, we, have, we actually have uh, cleaning ladies now. How often? Once a week. Oh, that's nice. It's very nice. It w- that was super. I mean, that that's the benefit of us both having jobs is that we can afford to do that because right. Uh, the I'm really bad about cleaning up after myself. I don't know why. It's been something that I've struggled. With. I mean, I I legitimately try new things like try to figure out how to be better about it. But I am just so absent-minded that like you know like for example taking off clothes and getting ready for bed, I'll like leave a trail on the way to my drawer 
to get pajamas. every couple has you. Yeah. In my in my I'm relationship, I'm not you. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm the opposite. Oh, I, I'm a nightmare when it comes to that w- stuff. One thing that's hard for me, I know a lot of cartoonists whose whose wives are more the manager mm-hmm. in the relationship, and in mine, I'm more the manager. Right. And it's just like it just adds to my already insane list. Yeah. See, I'm so glad my money goes right into a bank account. I literally, I love it this way. I just say, hey. Uh, can I buy such and such? And if she says no, I'm like, okay, well, I, uh, she she must know. And if she says okay, then that means that you know oh, she's that's so nice. Yeah, she's ve- she's on top of everything with that. That's so nice. Yeah. All right. Um, I also want to talk about you and I. We kind of met when mm-hmm. we were, our careers were, I, I'd say, somewhat parallel. Mm-hmm. We were both. Um, I'm going to use this term, maybe it's the wrong term, kind of stuck in the middle mm-hmm. uh, at Marvel mm-hmm. where we we were getting steady work. So mm-hmm. we weren't like at the bottom where every job might be our last. We were getting steady work. And then we were looking at the tiers above us. How do we get there? Mm-hmm. Well, you got there. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what that was like, what happened. Like, Give me a timeline and, and how it was affecting you emotionally, financially, and all that stuff. Because I think you, it's it's interesting to hear because you worked for a while in the middle. Mm-hmm. Is that a good ter- good enough term? You think? I think so. Yeah, like like kind of just being shuffled around to whatever they wanted. I mean, I had a contract, so I was you know I could get what I wanted. Um, I mean, I was getting work, but yeah, like I didn't feel like I, I literally knew like two editors at the company, so it was a little bit strange. But it's. It's hard to see it all for the for what it is. It's it's kind of like being tangled in a spider web and not knowing what the spider web looks like. So like right. for me, uh, I don't really understand. It feels no different because, in all honesty, you, you do the same thing every day. Um, I just feel I feel lucky that it that it, it all has started to happen. You know, and I mean, I, I feel like I kind of. Um, did everything I could to make it happen, but like what? What did you do to to, to make it? What do you think you did to make it happen? Um, well, I was very. Um, I mean, I know I know you're the same way. I think that we are just trying to to make ourselves better. Like I never. Right. I, I feel like there are definitely guys that would get to this certain level, and then they would be. They would think, well, I'm really great at this, and you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. But I was. Uh, always trying new things, you know, like I started inking myself, I started, um, you know, I was trying different techniques, I was reading more books on how to do different techniques and, uh, you know, just trying to absorb anything I could. And, and, you know, for me, I think it's different than for you where my whole life was absorbed in this one pursuit where you have this other job, you know, like all that stuff. But uh, I, you know, just just constantly changed things until I got to something that I thought was, I, I want to be marketable, but I also want to have a unique voice. And so it was like trying to balance those things. Yeah. Then, I mean, I feel like when I was in, when I was in the middle, uh, you know, there was, uh, I was, my stuff, I was very concerned because I knew that it felt, it looked and felt generic to me. Um, because I was so, um, I was so concerned with making it, what I thought Marvel Comics should be. And then right. I kind of started doing those Ashcan All-Stars and found 
that I had a little bit more of a voice inside of me that I knew was there and I needed to access it. So the Ashcan All-Stars really helped you access something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm sad that I can't do it more often because right. I... I feel like if you see my sketchbooks, they're always much different than than the way that I was putting out stuff. I was doing, I talked to Scotty Young about it a lot, and and the conclusion that we kind of came to was that a lot of the stuff I was doing, I was doing because I thought this is what a comic book should look like. Right, and I think, I just, let me make a note here, because we're told coming in, when when we're coming in with more of a cartoony style, when we're trying to get work, like, oh, this isn't really house style. Right. So very early on, you're getting this message that Mm -hmm. you've got to fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, guys, like you are a little more stubborn because we don't really change that much what we do. We change little things and Mm -hmm. try to make it work. And then I think when you break, I'm guessing here, it's like, oh, well, I stopped doing that. I started just doing what felt right for me. And on my project now, I feel, even the last Deadpool book, I was like, well, this is me now. Like, right. the whole time, it's like, why don't you try to be a little less cartoony, be a little less cartoony, mm-hmm. be a little less cartoony. And then when I when I hit that last Deadpool arc, I was like, I'm going to do what I do. And I thought of it as more cartoony, but it wasn't. Um, were we talking about this yesterday? Maybe. You were saying how your stuff, my stuff now is different, it's less cartoony? No, I think... That was I was talking else. about your your design, how you've brought out all your design sense. Like okay. that's where I think that your stuff has gone. That I find really interesting is that you've really embraced just like pure design in your stuff, and it's the composition and everything, which I think is a big aspect of your work. And yeah, you've yeah. embraced it. Yeah, that's what I feel my strengths like, are. Yeah, I kind of feel like as, and this is probably ridiculous to say, but I feel like. I don't feel like th- I'm feeling better about my drawing now. Mm-hmm. I feel like in, if I separate my work into three zones, there's my design and storytelling, my my drawing and my inking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess penciling and my inking. And I felt like I could I could put a nice surface on my pencils, mm-hmm. but my pencils are my weak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I could I could put a nice surface on it, but the drawing was still right. weird. Um, so I always felt like strong design was my strength and that that could try to hide some of the other stuff. Well, I, think, I think you have to, that's an important thing is to find what your strengths are. You have to say, what do I do? What's my plus ability? And then really accentuate it. Like, I think the thing that stands out to a lot of people about my work is, uh, the action sequences Absolutely. or like, uh, you know, the energy in the, in the drawings. And then something that was happening to me when I wasn't inking myself was that I would, pencil it so tight that I would deaden that energy and so like inking myself right. was something that started to bring that out more in the final product you know right and and also I mean tell me if this is the same for you but I noticed that I'm much less I'm so much more confident in what I'm doing in the sense that I don't in the middle of the day now I don't feel bad about myself and have to go look at a comic book that I look like yeah, in order to right. feel bad. Like, like I'll go, I, like I, in the middle of the day, I used to go look at like an Arthur Adams comic and just like cry about why I couldn't do things right. like that. And now I'm like, no, 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 do, you, you know, I do you. what my own you thing be is. You. Yeah. Um, I, I'll pull up, I have a good quote about that. Actually, I heard a, a comedian, Ari Shafir, say on, on, on a podcast um, about comparison, and I want to pull it up now because it's it's one of it's on my sticky of things mm-hmm. I got to remind myself. Um, uh, where is oh no, it's under my quotes. 
It's the last one. Comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that really hit home. I was like, yeah, stop comparing yourself to other people. You're yeah. you, and that's that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that, especially lately, like none of my, well, the last issue of Fantastic Four that I did, I kind of embraced this, but I've kind of realized that the thing that I really like in the artists that I like is that their take on reality is more interesting than reality. Right. That's what I love about it. Right, yes. And and that's what I'm starting to find in myself is that I do have something in there, especially if I just stop worrying, if I stop worrying about what our Adams did or what even reality is. And I'm like, this is what this... This is what a tree looks like to me in my head. I have something there, and if I can access Absolutely. it, then it'll look so much cooler than I a real tree. I always said that the artists I like took me out of my world mm-hmm. and into theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like one of, one of the bad things that's happened to our medium uh, in the past decade with SketchUp and photographs, I mean, to e- e- everyone's got to do what they got to do. I'm not going to judge anyone for, for doing their things, but I've noticed that I'll be reading a comic book and then there's a SketchUp background. And all of a sudden I feel like I've entered the generic world of mm-hmm. comics where artists A, B, and C, and D, and E, they're all using SketchUp. Right. So the camera's always got the same feel and the space has the same feel. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I enter a Mignola comic and, and I don't enter a SketchUp world. Right, I mean, like his, his world is so strong that when you're reading his books, I mean... I feel like I hear sounds. I like smell the world. You right, know? Like, right. And like Bill Watterson, I, yeah. I just his forests are his, mm-hmm. and they're not. So I, I, it's it's a little like there are people I know that will use SketchUp, like Dragato was talking about last night. And I don't feel like when I look at Nick's books, I've entered SketchUp world. Right, but because he because he adds Nick Dragato isms right to the right. thing. I mean, I'm I'm fully willing. I I didn't use it on. I haven't used it on Superior Spider-Man at all yet, uh, any SketchUp, but I did have a bunch of cars, and I kind of thought it was interesting to draw these cop cars uh, my own way. Right. But um, I still think that there's a way that you can use SketchUp and as long as you add to it. Yeah, you I know, agree. Give it I rust agree. spots and do all the little right, things. Right, right. I agree. I agree. I just, but you have to be cognizant of that. I, I have to change this. This yeah. is a good um, outline for the finish. You but, have to think about it as your own world and figure out what your world looks like. Like, just try and access, what, like, observations, the tiniest little observation that you've made in your own life. If you can bring that into a comic, right. it gives the reader, so, like, Frank Quitely is amazing at that yeah that's yeah. what he is so good at is i agree he has these little observations about life and he and he puts them in you know like uh at the beginning of we three when he's showing the guy running on the treadmill mm-hmm. and the guy's foot is planting into the treadmill and it goes down into mm-hmm. the treadmill and that's not real right right but, but you feel the awesome. motion yeah. and the gravity absolutely yeah, uh, yeah. um i, w- I want to go back to something you're addressing a few minutes ago you're talking about feeling confident in your work now, and before there was a lot of worry. Mm-hmm. Um, did you spend your days drawing, wrestling in your mind with yourself, with stress and worry and anxiety and, yes. and doubt? That's my, that's my whole life. Well, right. Well, I, it's my whole life, too, and almost everyone I interview, we yeah. end up talking about this to some extent. Is that, is that still present? It's present. Uh, it's less present while I'm doing it. It's more present in the... Um, in the evaluation of it afterwards, which I think is much healthier. 
I think it's much healthier to doubt yourself overall than to doubt yourself while you're doing it. Like, yeah, because you can that can really stall you. Yeah, I'm I'm so focused on the specific thing now of finding my world and my voice in this world, uh, as you know, in the worlds that I create that. I hardly have time to access that part of my brain that goes into doubt mode. Now, what, before when you're in, you were in doubt mode while you were drawing. Absolutely. Was that affecting your life outside of the studio? Yes. Oh, in what ways? I mean, still, if I, I mean, even now, if if I if I fail at this, trying to do things my own way. And I feel like I did a bad page. I can't sleep at night. I wake up all tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so hard to to get out of that thing. I love to have a finished page when I'm, you know, done oh, with work God. for the day. It's, it's so hard. It, like you were saying earlier, when you reach the hours you put in your day mm-hmm. and you haven't finished what you're trying to finish that day, you got to stop. Yeah. But that means mentally too, mm-hmm. and that's hard. It's it's so hard. And I, you know, of course it. it I I I was um I tweeted about this where I do I I think that it's unhealthy the way that I am where I live and die with every page that I do. I know that feeling. Um, so there's so many guys that I'm so envious of that seem to be like, well, you know, I'll get it tomorrow and I'm not like that. Right, but but let me ask you this cuz my perception of you is not at all what you're saying. My mm-hmm. perception of you is you're just you're happy and and you're confident in what you're doing. No, I'm an anxious mess. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, that's good. You're normal, yeah. <laughs> like us. But so, but you're saying you have these perceptions about other people who can be that way. Uh-huh. Do you really think they are that way? Uh, some people, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like there. It probably requires a certain amount of self an- analysis to improve. So I think that anybody that gets to a certain level probably has that sort of doubt. Right, right. I think um, that drives drives mm-hmm. you. I mean, I, I, I think every artist I know and am friendly with, we're, we're wrestling with this. Oh yeah, but like, it's a, we're Adam wrestling Hughes with. Will it. tell you that he he like show you a drawing and say that this is terrible, and you're like, what? That's yeah, perfect. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're but we're unhealthy about it. Uh-huh. I mean. It, w- we have healthy intentions with mm-hmm. the worry, but I think we, do you, well, I shouldn't assume, do you feel like you, you bring it to unhealthy levels? I have. I think that I'm getting better about it. I think that that's just, I had this conversation with Ed McGinnis a few years ago, and he, we were joking about how we go through these things, and I, I would have about one day a week where I was just in that spiral of, I'm terrible. Why yeah. am I so bad at this? Why do I even try? Like, you know. And then he, but he, but his point was, it the time between those days expands. It never goes away. Right. But he can go. Point. He can go. You know, a month or two now. Wow. Without having a day where he hates himself. Wow. Uh, and I've I've started to get. I think I've expanded to about you know four weeks before I have a complete meltdown. Well, that's good. It lasts a day or two and then it, How often it. do you have days where you leave like with a kick in your step like fuck yeah I just destroyed it. Um you know it never I never feel that way about my own stuff. I only feel that way when I get some like if a cover solicited and people really like it or right. if if a preview comes out I only I only can get that feeling from other people responding. So you need to my exterior work. validation. Oh yeah, okay. no. That anybody that knows me will tell you that I I have a friend Tommy Patterson who I show him every page that I do, and if he doesn't, 
if he doesn't say it's good, I react so poorly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have like Dragata's actually like he's always so um, supportive of uh-huh. what I'm doing that I'm like sometimes I'm just like I just need that support, Nick. Yeah, give me some love. Yeah, just just tell me it's all right. Tell me I can yeah. move on to the next page. Yeah, uh, I, I send in. Ev- I think a lot of guys send in pages and batches to their editors. I send in every page as it's done. Once it's complete, I scan it in and get it sent in because I need. There's like. It's like not done to me until it's validated. You right. Know what I mean? See, my anxiety doesn't think like that. Right. I'm like, well, I'm going to send in 10. Mm-hmm. So that they won't. Ca- so that bad. the bad ones are kind of buffered right. by the better ones. Yeah. And if I can reach the middle where I've evened it all out, mm. I'm good. You know, I, I think that I'm I'm on an island with this one. I don't know anybody else that does it the way that I do. I, I used to. I, I've gone through that right. period, but that was more of a anxiety where it's like, look, guys, I'm working, I'm working, I'm, right. I'm on schedule, I'm getting well, it's it not, done. It's not, it's not just for my editors though; it's to my friends too. Oh, like, oh, none of okay. my friends send me every page they do. They only send me the ones that they think are good. Yeah, I'm afraid to send it a single page but or I'll like send two every, pages. Every page I do, because then to. it's standing alone. Yeah. And then it's going to be judged by itself. Sometimes I'll send it to, I'll go into Skype. I have like five people that I'll I'll send it to and I'll walk away from my computer and I'll be like, do I even want to see what they say? And then I'll check. And if they're all good, then I feel good that night. Ryan, it's refreshing to know you're a mess like me. I'm a huge mess. (laughs) I didn't know this about you. You always seem so happy and grounded. I am happy, but I'm also a mess. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, how are you happy with? How are you happy while have? Is this all stuff that just stays in the studio? No, I mean I'm Jen. No, I, I when when Oliver was uh, when Aaron was pregnant, I like I melted down. <laughs> what do you mean? Just like mentally, uh, I was I was so anxious during the throughout the pregnancy. Yeah, or just one day in, sp- in no, specific. No, well, I was also having the. It's a long story. I was also having this wisdom teeth problem. I ended up having to have multiple surgeries. There was a bone graft put in my jaw. Oh my god! And all this shit. And so it was. It was all. It was all going on. So I had her pregnant, and then I had all this stuff going on, and I was like, oh, it was bad. Um. So back up. I, this sounds like an event. It was bad. Okay. So. Tell me from beginning to end what happened. Well, all right. So uh, Aaron was pregnant, and we, you know, that's a huge event. That is a crazy. That is a crazy thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you you just can't have any clue of how huge that's going to be. And then at the same time, I had or a few months, maybe like. So four months before Oliver was born, I had my wisdom teeth out, and one of them uh, got a dry socket, uh-huh. and then it got infected. But Ugh. they did, they just kept saying it was a dry socket. So I had it. I was like, "This is three weeks. I have a dry socket for three weeks." It was so painful. I was in pain constantly, which can just drive you crazy. Sure. And uh, you know, me being anxious, uh, I you know. The way that I am, uh, I convinced myself that I was dying. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm familiar with this. Uh, I mean, it was it was full blown so that generalized anxiety disorder. Right. So you you had thought, okay, there's an infection in my jaw. It's going to go right to my brain, and I'm out of here. No, I thought that it wasn't healing because something else was wrong. Oh, uh, you had cancer. Yeah. Right. I'm obsessed with cancer. Me right. Too. Me too. And 
I've actually never watched Breaking Bad because it deals with cancer too much. And uh, I yeah, can't handle I, it. I can say as of watching it, it, it doesn't. Right, it, that's what they, they said that it gets better. But I started watching it during that time, and I was like, "No, there's oh, no okay, way I'm watching the show." Yeah. Right. So, so you had this this dry sock, this infection that mm-hmm. was being diagnosed as dry sock. Oh, and then so they they kept they kept. Uh, I was going to one of those dentists now that they have. They're like dental factories where they have fifty people working there, which doesn't make any sense for a dentist. It's like fast food dentistry. Yeah, and they they would they would put me in with these guys that didn't know what they were talking about, and they said, "No, it's not infected." So finally, I so I kept having to get like uh, these gauze wraps put in it, and just like take. I was on eight hundred milligram ibuprofens all the time. That's and good just, for your liver. Yeah. And they just said, just take it, you know, you'll be fine. So finally I switched dentists, but this other one turned out to be a dental factory as well. I didn't know. I didn't, I, I hadn't, you know. And uh, so I went in and they said, this is incredibly infected. Why did they say it wasn't infected? And then, the, so they... How did they know it was... What, what, what gave it away to them that the other dentists weren't catching? It was pussy. <laughs> And the other dentists were catching yeah, no. Jesus. And one at, at one point, I called the the guy that did the surgery. I said, "I think I need to see you. I need somebody to look at this." And he told me, "I'm not kidding." He said flat out on the phone. He said, "I think you're just allergic to pain." I've been in pain for three weeks. Jeez. Uh, so then he. Uh, so then I went. To the other one, they started. The, I th- I'm pretty sure that he just didn't want to give me an oral antibiotic because he knew that if he could inject it, I would have to come back a couple times. So he would inject it with antibiotics. I came back three times. The third time, he comes in and he says, "Well, we shouldn't have injected you a third time." He was like, "It should have been gone by now. The first one should have knocked it out." I was like, "Well, why didn't you look at it?" You know. So basically, it's not healing. Nobody knows why. I finally go to a periodontist who then tells me uh, that I have to have surgery and that my bone was eroding in my jaw from the, um, from the infection. And this is a one month before... At, at this point, this is one month before my baby's going to be was born. Was it like so, gangrenous? No, it okay. was just an infection that started. Okay. Um, this is one month before the baby's on his way. This is horrifying. Yeah, so the, I'm, in, I'm in severe pain for three months. And, and you're being told you have to have surgery. Right. Which, and is, then, which so, is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I had to have a bone graft put into my jaw. Oh my god! They cut my whole like down here open. Uh, it was way worse than the um, wisdom teeth, and not a, it. It was you know it, I was relieved to have that part over, but the the sentiment was when I left there that there was it was very possible that they were going to have to do the same surgery twice. So so a month later, I had to go get checked just before the baby was born. Oh, my God. Uh, and they actually said, okay, you've, it's grown back well. You're fine. You don't need to have any more surgeries. But that was... And, uh, How does, what is a bone graft? What do they do? They, they had, like, synthetic bone that they put into oh, there, and then my and then bone, bone had to... around Yeah. It. So... How long was the surgery? It was just, like, it probably took uh, an hour and okay. a half or something. Oof. But it was Were just you that, numbed up or out? I was uh, I was on um, nitrous, but I was awake. Oh my god! And uh, yeah, so they did all that, and then but then from that point on, I was just a complete wreck. I mean, my anxiety levels, my baseline anxiety is always relatively high, right? And then you, gotta, and, but my baseline yeah. was just through the roof at this point. Um, where so then you know, I barely could enjoy 
my son for the first three months of his life. You know, right. I was just, I was just out of it. Like I was doing, uh, at the time I was doing X twenty three. I did issues eight and nine. It, you'll notice that I only did um, half of issue nine because uh, I was just too out of it. I did all the pages small. I drew them like almost at size and wow. had the inker ink them large because I just couldn't get anything done. And mm-hmm. then also, after my son was born, he was jaundiced. And oh. then he, um, they, he, when he was breastfeeding, he wasn't getting anything. Yeah, Zoe did this. So he was screaming all the time. So he was losing weight. And he got su- severely dehydrated, oh. and his jaundice went way up, and so we had to go back to the hospital. So my mm-hmm. wife and I spent two nights in the hospital with him. Oh, my God. And uh, it was, it took me, a- a- after, he, when he was about six months old, I was finally recovered from... All this and started to so, live a normal life again. Did you have like a like a, an event meltdown? I mean, you said you were melting down. What what was going? I mean, I know all, everything that was going on in your life, but what, what what? How was it showing itself? Um, <laughs> there's actually a funny story where one time I went to a doctor that I because I had mo- we had moved a couple years before. I didn't have like a physician. Mm-hmm. I went to a doctor uh, to get seen and. Uh, I was all wild-eyed, you know, like I hadn't been sleeping well. My you went about the anxiety. You went to the right. doctor, okay. and I had um, I had like a scruffy beard and everything. And uh, I remember I said, <laughs> like even at the time, I knew this was funny. I said, uh, uh, I said, I just, I'm so anxious, and I don't know what what's happening. And I was just like, I need. I, I was like, I don't know what what to do. And the lady looked at me, and then like. She like slowly backed out of the room <laughs> and then she walked back in and started asking me questions like, are you going to hurt anybody? Are you, you know? suicidal, <laughs> homicidal, right? And I was like, holy crap, like I've really gone down a, a, a bad road here. I, I, I don't think I was ever as, I don't think I was as bad as I looked at the time. Because you know? right. as a comic book artist, sometimes you just let your hair well, grow out. and you're, you're Right, and you're alone grow. all day in yeah. your mind. So, all right, so you go to the doctor. This sounds, you hit, a, yeah, this sounds bad. Yeah. So what did the doctor say? What did the doctor do? Well, they, I just ended up having to see a therapist for a little while and go through some, you know, techniques to. How long did you, were you in therapy? Uh, probably like three months. Every week, mm-hmm. and was there any medication involved? Yeah, but I mean, it's I take a very low dose of Zoloft just to even me out. Okay, so you went, the medication and therapy together worked for you, mm-hmm. and now you're fine. Yeah, would you say before this event you were a happy person? Yeah, I'm a happy person. I'm, I, no, I no, think, you're a happy person now. Right, I think that. I've, I've had this conversation with my wife, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people. My natural state, if, if you know, I, can't, I guess I can't do hand gestures on this, but my natural state is above average on happiness. Like, right. when, when nothing's happening, I'm happy. Okay. You know, I can be, if, if I'm just sitting, I'm happy. Uh, this, this situation was the first time that I got you know, down. So even with your normal anxious state, you're mm-hmm. still, you're still happy. It's not affecting your happiness. Right. Okay. And then, but most people say, like my wife says, if she, if she needs a push in either direction or otherwise she's just like, she's even. neutral. Right. Yeah. I think that sounds like me. Yeah. But I'm, you know, 
the, the, the reason I'm getting so interested and passionate about the subject is I realized I, I had lost the, the joy of now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And I was so, you know, part of it was just two jobs, mm-hmm. two kids, wife, and just always under pressure. And over the past week or so, I'm able to, to just try to enjoy the now more mm-hmm. so. And I'm just, I, I, it's, I talk to everyone about this mm-hmm. that seem happy. Well, how, why are you happy? Right. <laughs> like, well, I, I definitely, during that time, I do remember, I know exactly what you mean because I do remember there was one time that I was at, we were at like Babies or Us, but just before the baby was born. And I remember thinking about it for a minute, and it felt like I literally had blinders on, like a horse, you mm-hmm. know? Like I had no peripheral vision. I didn't hear the music that they, yeah, they were piping in. There. I didn't see, like, I, I, I may as well not have existed at that moment because I was so locked inside my head that I had, was taking in none of it. I, and I was thinking about it, and I knew, like, when I thought about it, I, I knew that there was something different because, in general, I'm very... I love everything all the time. Like right. I think the like even though Babies Russ is stupid, I would have found some joy in being there right. and making fun of stuff. That but they you're have aware. There. You're like, what, what what's happening to me? Yeah, and I and and I come from you know a very uh, anxious family, <laughs> a lot of uh, OCD type things. So I think that was that was good for me. Was being able to as soon as I mentioned it to my mom, she was like, you need to see. A doctor about it because this is you know you're this is we're bad. all like this. <laughs> oh, down they all go to doctors. Oh yeah. Okay, so uh, you're part of the family. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. But I think that um, yeah, the the actually having the baby is the thing that that keeps me the most present because that's really what we're talking about is the ability to stay present. Right. I think that's that's where the happiness is. Yeah. To um, enjoy the thing that's right in front of you. Instead of I, right. living for the future. Well, here's this is interesting. I, I heard another. I think I think it was Ari Shafir had said this as well. That anxiety is living in the future, depression's living in the past, mm-hmm. and joy is living in the moment. Mm-hmm. And being anxious, not depressed, I'm always like, I'm always worried. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm always thinking about, well, there's a bill next week. How am I going to pay that? Or where's my career going to go after Mm -hmm. this book? Or blah, 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 all future shit. Yeah. And that's anxiety. Yeah. I think that um, that's that's where I was at with, that's probably why my baseline, because I don't really get depressed about the past. I think that um, I generally... Well, that's depression, right? And you're having anxiety. exactly. I don't think about the past, you know. Right. Like I think I had a abnormally happy childhood. And yeah, I, my past is. I mean, my high school years were like dazed and confused. It was a big party. Yeah, I had exactly. A blast. Yeah, so did I. I. I think that's always weird when people hate their yeah, high school. I I'm like, oh, that was freaking awesome. That whole <laughs> movement in in the indie comic scene in the. I want to say the the early to mid nineties mm-hmm. where everything was like I didn't fit in and I was a misfit and yeah. I was just like stop bitching like yeah. fucking grow up I'm, and my I was like where's the comic book about my high school yeah and uh, and it was fun I mean it was a big party yeah so yeah I don't have that depression I have the anxiety I have the future yeah and the anxiety can lead to being depressed but I don't think sure you I get overwhelmed with more, everything it was more just that I was so not present that I was like, I, in, in my, my anxiety, the way that I describe it is I 
will think about something, a possibility, and I experience it as though it's real. Right. You know what I mean? That's Which is good. totally absurd. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's so like, exactly so like what if I, I do. If I worry about my wife having the baby and then I worry about complications, it's like it may as well have happened. Right. And You've then my lived body, out the scenario. My body has experienced this trauma. Right. And it's cr- that's, just, it, 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 that's just crazy, you know? That's exactly what I do. Yeah. It's that's worst. helpful. Yeah. Um, when you, did you have any, like, panic attacks or meltdown specifically like during this time where there, you had an there event? was a time where um i tried to go up to my bedroom and meditate because i had read about that helping you get back in the present moment all that stuff right and it wasn't working and i do remember that day for a couple hours i was like physically unable to leave the room okay you know what i mean it was just like nope too overwhelming can't go out that door i can't do it it was only for a few hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when you when you think about it enough, you can convince you. You, you know, you just like, well, just freaking do it. Just physically move your body out. And, and that's know. how you got out. Yeah, but okay. I remember I was in there and I was just like, this is this is too much. I it wasn't it was never anything like any you know suicidal nothing like that. But it was definitely like. I just can't face right, this. I just want right. to go lay in bed and close my eyes and sleep until this is all fixed. You know what I mean? During this time, well, and this is when Oliver was a baby? He wasn't born yet. Okay. Um, well, when Oliver was a baby and you're going through it, or even then, what was was your wife getting, was it driving a wedge between you two? Or there, was it causing issues between you two? Was she getting resentful or anything? No, she was really helpful. She, she's actually, she's had, you know, her, she's had anxiety. My poor kid has oh, no yeah. chance. My kids, my kid, they already have it. I see yeah. it in them. Like, it's horrible. I've destroyed these two right. little creatures. But she's she had had um anxiety or panic attacks in the past. Okay. Um so she knew what it was for me. So she knew what I was going through. She could relate. Oh, okay. So she was always very supportive. She very did, great. you know, we did have the conversation at one point where she, it was like cuz I was avoiding doing anything. I was like, you know, you you convince yourself I'm a man, I can take right, care of it. Right. And she finally right. had to have the conversation with me where she was like, you it's affecting me now. Like you okay. have to do something Good. about it, you know, and that was. But it never drove a, drove a wedge. It was just that conversation. Of right, like, you have a good oh, relationship. Okay, I need to. I need to realize that this isn't just me that's going through and this. And that's now. good communication between yeah. you two. Yeah. Um, when was your interior uh, monologue about this? Just like Ryan, get over this. You're being ridiculous. Yeah. And well, that. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I, I can just get over it. Well, it was like. I've always been able to get over it, and I couldn't at this time. This was the I absolutely needed help. There was no question. Okay, because my mom made. I remember her joking with me in high school one time. A girl that I really liked, she broke up with me, and I was really upset. And then later that day, I was downstairs singing silly songs and acting like my normal self, and it was just like because that's how I am, you know, I just got over it. You know, I wasn't completely okay. over it, but I was able to exist in the now still. Were you, do you think you were repressing or dealing with it healthily, where you were just, you had moved on? Did um, you swallow it or move past no, it? No, 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 I did not swallow it. Okay. I, I wear my, uh, you, peop, everybody always knows exactly where I'm at. Okay. <laughs> Cause, because I'm like very, I don't repress anything. Okay, uh, that's healthy. I think that I just was, I just, 
randomly got happy again, you know, and then I'd probably get sad about it later when I thought about her. But if she, you know, if whatever, I, I was, you know, that's just how I, I've been able to cope with things. Like I knew that that was just, um, I don't know. I just felt happy at the moment. So I just went with it. Right. I want to test this real quick. Did when, um, when you were stuck in the middle, like I said earlier, yeah. was there any anger, resentment or bitterness building in you? I'm very optimistic. Okay. So I never put it on them. I put it on myself. Okay. But did you turn it to where you felt like you were failing? No. I felt like my outlook has, was, well, if you get better, then they can't say no. Right. Okay. I, I've always felt that way. I, felt, I, I say that a lot to aspiring artists. Nobody wants to keep you out of the business. Right. Nobody, there's, no conspiracy. there's nobody that is that vindictive. I mean, there might be, but. And nobody's saying. There's plenty of other people that aren't like that. Right. And everybody gets a job. It's not a mark against if you. If you become so good, if you become Olivier Coipel, you're undeniable. You're not going to stay in the middle. You know right, what I mean? Right. So you have to you have to take a look at your stu- your own work. Like for me, when I was in the middle, I deserved to be in the middle. I was doing my work looked relatively generic. It was mm-hmm. um, it was standard comic book fare. It was well done comic books. It was, but there was nothing to say th- that I deserved any more than what I was getting. Well, that's a pretty damn healthy attitude. <laughs> well, that, I mean, honestly, I never, ever once, I don't know what it is about me, but I, it's, it, this is an interesting thing that I've never really discussed, but um, I've never, I can honestly say I've never blamed anybody else for anything right? in terms of what I've that's gotten good. or what I've not gotten. Um, so you feel like your work now doesn't have those middle qualities anymore you've worked, no there's still there's still issues that i i would but like you've to, worked out a lot of them yeah. like you said your work you feel your work looked sort of generic it served a purpose but it didn't have a voice to it right but now you feel you do have a voice i'm I not have, saying I'm you finding feel like you're perfect. The voice. Okay. i'm finding the voice i think okay. that i've got i've got glimpses of a voice i don't think that did it just happen naturally or was there something you did that made that come through um or is this sort of just going over what we went over before where you and Scotty had the talk about your sketchbook? No, I think that um, it was, I think that it's natural. I think it's a natural progression. I think that it's all about the, uh, we could get into the whole outliers conversation. Have you read that book? No, I'm going to, I need to listen to it. It's like, I've been saying to myself, I need to listen to outliers. Yeah, it's, it's the whole 10,000 hours theory. And right. I think that I just hit the point where I had done it so much that I could, I was much more in control of what I was doing. Right. Um, and I think, like, Scotty's another guy that I talked to before when he started inking himself. That was around the time that he stopped obsessing over trying to draw like anybody else. Mm-hmm. He just went with what he, he knew he was. And he's always been. He's always had a strong voice, but he, I agree. I've talked to him about this, mm-hmm. and he's he said he stopped trying to be Chris Bocello. Right. I never looked at his work and felt like I was looking at Chris yeah. Bocello, but I understand what he's saying. Yeah, and and he, you just get to a point where you're like, I don't need those crutches anymore, and that's that's all that I think happened was I I gave up trying I gave up trying to be something that I'm not. 
You, you, you took the training wheels off and just said, I'm going to do what I do. I remember, I remember having the same revelation as a human being, like in high school, when All I right. got to that point where I was like, wait, I should just be myself. You know what I mean? Right. And then once I did that, like my life, everything got so much better where, I mean, obviously you don't just do it overnight, but it was, it's a strange feeling where it's, it's almost the exact same thing. Like, oh, if I just be me and put myself out there, then people are going to respond to that much better than like a fake watered down version of me. But it took a while to be able to do that in your artwork. It's not an easy thing to do. No, I think, I think that that, I, I, I guess that what I'm saying is that thing is a product of hours and hours, thousands of hours of work. It's just, it just you can't, you, you can't it. get to it. You can't get to it without putting in a ton of effort. Right. All right. This seems like a good place to stop. All right. Um, I, I'm going to listen to Outliers, and maybe we should do a follow up podcast after that to talk about all that It'll stuff. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, well, I'm curious because I feel like I am coming to that precipice. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm doing my work now, not me comparing right. myself to other people. I'm feeling the confidence in my work. Yeah. Um, and it feels good. And I don't have a ton of, of other people's art around me mm-hmm. to keep reminding me to, to do this or do that and right. be better. And I can just sit down and draw and just feel like, okay, that's how I handle this, and right. I like that. That's all, the, that's all that you should hope to, you know, that's all you can aspire to is how, how, how do I handle this, not how does somebody else handle it. Good. All right, so after Outliers, we'll talk more about all right. that. Cool. All right, so before I stop, um, there's a couple things I want to do. One thing is I try to end every podcast. I have this, I, 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 get, I don't know if it's a question. I'm going to say something. I feel like we all came up, and I don't know if this is true for everyone, but we all came up, most comic book artists came up with either punk, hip-hop, metal, or a combination of the three. Mm-hmm. So in your life, did any of those play a role? Hip-hop. Okay. Yeah, no, that was a... That became an obsession of mine in high school. It, was, uh, it, 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 it comes in waves now. But it was definitely, that was the, out of those three, absolutely that. Why is it coming waves now? Um, just because I don't have as much time to read uh, what, uh, Blaze magazine and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, I stopped reading those magazines. I used to read the crap out of those, and so I always knew the new stuff that was coming out. Right. You know, now you find yourself kind of uh, retreading old stuff. But See, I, I- I'm trying, I'm, I'm actually now with Spotify because you can listen to whatever you want. Right. I've been much more on the... Uh, like listening to newer stuff uh, and staying up on it. But I think that uh, it was harder. I just didn't have the time to devote to it, to finding the new stuff. Right. See, for me, it was all three. They're all very important to me, but mm-hmm. hip-hop the most mm-hmm. and to this day. And I, di- I don't have the waves. Mm-hmm. And most people I know have the waves, and I feel like I'm just a, like a junkie needing more and more and more. Right. Um, but there was a lull. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of asked about the waves. I, f- I think like... From I would say, yeah, it was more early, early it's not really 2000. Waves, it's, a, it's a lull that I had. Yeah. I went into really deep into indie rock, and then after I had a kid, um, I was no longer interested in lovesick people. Right, right. <laughs> but I feel, there was a lull, I'd say, probably around 2000 through 2005. Uh-huh. But I feel like there's a lot of fresh material being mined right now. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like a lot of people in the lull kind of got out, and, and I want to be like, guys, you're missing this. Yeah, there's there's good stuff coming out again. All right, cool. All right, uh, so well, what's what are you listening to now, hip hop wise? Uh, well, I just got really into Odd Future. I was talking about that. Right, we were I really about that. love. I mean, Frank Ocean's album is more R and B, but mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Uh, Big Crit, I love that. So good. Live from I the gave you live from the underground, yeah. right? Yeah. Did I give you all the mixtapes? No, oh, but I I'll need give them. you all the mixtapes. Yeah. They're so good. If you like, I'm going to give you a bunch because uh-huh. Big Crit's part of this movement. Uh-huh. Uh You've got Currency. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've listened to Currency. I haven't. You're gonna. He's he's my favorite out of, out of them. Right. I love Crit, but wait till your Currency. You got Wiz Khalifa, mm-hmm. who's doing great stuff. And then you've got like members of each of their crews. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you some of that. All right, uh, last thing. Um, this is pimp your shit. Uh, Websites, books. Uh, I try not to do like books coming out because this won't air for a while. Mm-hmm. So I just like people to give where can they see what you have going on, the work you've done, con appearances, all that jazz. Uh, it's always Ryan Sta- Ryan, Twitter.com slash Ryan Stegman, Ryan Stegman.tumblr.com, Ryan Stegman.dvnart.com. Uh, that's pretty much, those are the ones I maintain. And your Tumblr is my best, my favorite one because I put sketches and stuff on there. I, I try to keep right. finished art on DeviantArt, sketches, Instagram shots on Tumblr. Tumblr, and then Twitter, I act like a fool. And anyone interested in original art can go to oh, cadencecomicart.com. All right. Thanks, Ryan. This was yes, good. Thank you. All right. See you. God damn. That was good. That was good. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. That was good. That was a good conversation. Thank you, Ryan, for sharing. Um, yeah, I, I really hope that uh, you sat through the beginning there. I hope that part was interesting. I really do. I, I thought I thought there was a lot of good information in there, and I know a lot. And not everyone has kids, and not everyone is uh, in in the entertainment industry with. Trying to trying to wrestle with that lifestyle and, and having children, but it's something very personal to me. And um, if anything, this podcast will always be personal to me. So I felt it was worth discussing, and I hope it was interesting. So uh, yeah, that wraps up another Ink Pulp Audio. I am your host, Sean Crystal, and we have Alan Barnes behind the scenes making all the magic happen. This wouldn't happen without Alan, and I'm very thankful to have him on board. So, as always, uh, you can check me out on the interwebs. You can Google Ink Pulp or Sean Crystal. I've got a DeviantArt page. I'm at Twitter, at Sean Crystal. Um, I've got a Tumblr page. I've got a Facebook page. Uh, Twitter's where most of the updates are sent. Um, but check out all my stuff. And uh, Ryan gave you his info. So thanks again for tuning in. This was podcast... Uh, which one was this? Five or six, I think. So we're getting up there. 
Um, I'm recording these in advance, so I'm hoping by now we're catching on. I'm hoping people are enjoying this. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time in Ink Pulp Audio, where we go deep. In one of these games, someone's going to know what he's working on. I want to know this book that's in this game. Let's see. Oh, I got to climb up these rocks. Just climb. I, I, uh, hello? Who are you? Hi. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, what are you? You mean who am I? I'm Beast Boy, and I can turn into different animals and kill you. You're green. I know. Okay, why would you kill me? What did I do? Well, you startled me. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I just want to ask you a question. What? Can you tell... Do you know Zoe and Zachary? Um, maybe. Maybe. Oh, you, you, mean, you mean Sean Crystal's dad? Sean Crystal? I mean, Chris, Sean Crystal's um, daughter and son? Yes, I guess you know who Sean Crystal is then. Yeah. So maybe you can tell me, what book is he working on? Um, you don't want to know. I do want to know, that's why I'm here. No, you don't. Yes, and you know what? You're going to tell me now. Um, I'm the king and I order you to tell me. You're me, I can't eat, I think. All right. I'm going to have to spank you if you don't tell me again. So you're not going to tell me? Nah. Okay. Well, then I'm going to go to a different game. Goodbye. I got this here.
I never turn my back, I burn on wax, I stack my cash, and I country reach. Cause I got this here. I got this here.